1: your next stay. Find a stay for any of you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true.
2: Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through.
0: In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped
2: traffic, they were doing a dying.
3: Right. Right. And in the process, Share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from
1: HowStuffWorks.com. Our podcast. I'm Holly Prong, and I'm Tracy B. Wilson. Uh, and when people talk about the subject of today's podcast, he's often described as a genius, but also uh, something of a rather caustic figure. And while he had insights that even today, thinking about sort of how he came to his uh, conclusions, they're downright baffling. But he also had a reputation for being pretty arrogant and rubbing his colleagues the wrong way, which is commonly cited as having been pretty detrimental to his career and to sort of his proper place in astrophysics history. So we are going to talk today about the father of dark matter, who is uh, Dr. Fritz Zwicky. I'm actually
4: kind of amazed that I did not realize how early he was working. Right? Somehow. Yeah, somehow I thought dark matter was much more
1: recent than this. Uh, (laughs) Well, the big confirmation was much more recent, which we'll talk about a little bit. But he was onto it way before anybody else was.
4: Right. So to go ahead and start blowing your mind right from the beginning, Fritz was born in Varna, Bulgaria on February 14th, 1898. His father was a Swiss merchant and his mother was Czechoslovakian.
1: And when he was just six, his father, thinking that he would surely go into the family business, uh, he was sent to live with his grandparents in Glarus, Switzerland. And the plan was that he would study commerce while he was there and learn about business. But he did have a head for numbers, but it turned out that that interest fell into the areas of physics and non-financial mathematics. They're really not similar at all in
4: their math.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: In 1916,
4: he enrolled in Einstein's alma mater, the Zurich Polytechnic Institute, to study physics. And in
1: 1925, after he had graduated, uh, and he's said to have been, you know, very adoring of his, his professors that he thought were geniuses, uh, he ended up getting a, a grant of an international fellowship from the Rockefeller Foundation. And he used the money to travel to California so he could work for Robert Milliken as uh, first an assistant professor and then a professor of theoretical physics at the California Institute of Technology, which you would know as Caltech. Uh, it's in Pasadena, California. And at this point, some of the most exciting astronomical discoveries of the modern age were happening at Caltech. The 1920s were just a huge time for them. So, for example, well, through the lenses of the Hooker telescope, Edwin Hubble was making important observations about the vast array of galaxies in space and the expanding universe. And through a couple of large grants, including one from the Rockefeller Foundation, Caltech was building, you know, really advanced instruments and basically developing its facilities to remain on the front line of research in astronomy.
4: So he had gone to what really seemed like a mecca for astronomers, but Fritz was a physicist. Uh the, the two worlds do have a lot of crossover, though, and he was excited by both of the disciplines. And so he thought that the only course for him was to teach both courses. And that's how he became the first astrophysicist at Caltech.
1: And while he was at Caltech, he also met a, a man named Walter Bada, who was a German-American observational astronomer. And the two began collaborating. And some of that collaboration would become very important.
4: Ritz Zwicky came up with many, many theories about astrophysics during his career. His research and his theories were both just incredibly advanced.
1: So, for example, uh, in 1933, Zwicky put forth his theory that there is, in fact, a huge amount of unseen matter in any given galaxy. This was a completely new idea. Everyone thought that what you could see were the stars and that that's what was out there. Uh, but this idea was based on his observations of the Coma Galaxy Cluster. And based on the visible matter that was in the cluster and how it was behaving, he concluded that there simply was not enough of it, uh, if we only counted the visible pieces, to provide enough gravity to keep these fast moving galaxies together. And that there had to be something else in the mix producing enough gravity that it kept this cluster from flinging apart. That invisible
4: substance was what he called dark matter, and he published this theory in Helvetica Physica Acta. In his own words, quote, in order to receive an average Doppler effect of 1,000 kilometers a second or more, which is what we have observed, the average density in the Coma system would have to be at least 400 times greater than that of visible matter. If this can be shown to be the case... Then it would have the surprising result that dark matter is present in the universe in far greater density than visible matter.
1: I feel compelled to say again, 1933. Yeah, <laughs> this is. Like he was, he was drawing these conclusions way before anybody else was thinking about them. It's possibly
4: because I didn't really learn about dark matter until studying astronomy in college, uh, that in my brain, this was a much more recent theory than it really was.
1: Well, there are also some other reasons, which is that a lot of people dismissed him as kind of cockamamie. And we'll get to why <laughs> as we go on. Uh, but in addition to this work on dark matter and building on the work of Indian physicist Subramayan Chandrasakar, who later became famous for his mathematical work related to black holes, Zwicky and Bada, working together, described a neutron star. So this is a collapsed core of a star with an incredibly dense mass. For example, according to the National Geographic online entry on neutron stars, a sugar cube-sized chunk of neutron star is estimated to weigh roughly 100 million tons here on planet Earth. So that's how dense it is.
4: For scientific context, the neutron had only been discovered a year prior. So quick review, just in case you need it. Positively charged protons and neutral neutrons make up the nucleus of an atom, while negatively charged electrons form an orbital cloud around the nucleus.
1: Yeah, so we only knew what neutrons were for a little while before Zwicky was, to what his colleagues felt like jumping to the conclusion that neutron stars were, in fact, you know, sort of a uh, a larger scale version of some of the things they had witnessed at the atomic scale. Uh, but really, he was just intuiting some pretty impressive things. Uh, and he proposed that as a star burns out its fuel, its gravity is so great that it causes a compression of such magnitude uh, at the core that protons and electrons are crushed together to form neutrons. So if you think about particle physics, it's very similar, just on a much bigger scale. This also set the groundwork
4: for Zwicky and Bada's description of a supernova. As a star core implodes, it propels this massive explosion of the star's outer layers. Such explosions, they theorized, were also sources of cosmic rays, or high-energy subatomic particles that travel through space at a velocity that approaches the speed of
2: light.
1: Yeah, cosmic rays had been observed before, but no one knew where they came from. And Zwicky and Bada felt like this was where they came from. Uh, the pair first presented these theories at a conference of other scientists uh, in 1933. And subsequently, they published them as a paper in 1934. And that paper about neutron stars, cosmic rays, uh, and supernova has really been described as prescient and incredibly important to both physics and astronomy.
4: In the mid-1930s, certain that supernovas and other galaxies were something that we could observe, Zwicky convinced the director of the Mount Wilson Observatory to build a special telescope with a wide field of view so that he could observe and photograph multiple galaxies at the same time. That telescope enabled him to identify 12 supernovas over the course of three years.
1: And that work also gave him really firm ground to stand on when he went back and asked for an even bigger Schmidt telescope. And that request was granted. Uh, the 48-inch telescope that was built uh, after this second request was installed at Mount Palomar, and surveys of the northern sky conducted with it laid the groundwork for decades of astronomical study.
4: As the 1930s stretched on, Zwicky developed a theory of gravitational lenses, and it was based on Einstein's theory of general relativity. This theory was that if you had a galaxy in your line of sight, that galaxy could distort the image of more distant galaxies by bending their starlight. He asserted that by measuring the distortion that a galaxy caused could then give astronomers a sense of the weight of the lensing galaxy.
1: Yeah, which is, again... This is in the '30s. This was a lot of extremely. Um, it almost seems like a leap of faith to people that that might not understand his line of logic.
4: Well, and the I, the idea that the gravity of something could distort the light of something behind it is now kind of taken for granted
1: in the in the <laughs> field. I mean, it had been discussed to some degree prior to that, but he was the first one that was like, no, this is happening on a mammoth scale. It's affecting everything we observe. Uh, and while giving the Oxford University Halley Lecture in 1948, which is an annual lecture that is... Quite an honor to give. Uh, Zwicky spoke at length about what he called morphology, which is a systematic approach to studying the structure and form of scientific and technological topics by analyzing all possible parameters and solutions to any given related question. And this is one of those things that he really felt like he had been doing all of his life even before he had a name for it. Uh, and he was founder and president of the Society for Morphological Research. And in later life, he wrote of morphology, quote, I feel that I have finally found the philosopher's stone in what I call the morphological outlook and method. So he basically was trying to explain, like, I know what I'm doing. I've always been doing it. This is why I'm able to come to conclusions that other people don't see. I'm just so systematic in how I approach every possible issue that I look at that I'm going to eventually hit on the right thing. Uh it's an interesting approach and it, it is, it's very uh, methodical. It makes a lot of sense when you read about it, it kind of forming this matrix of possible outcomes and options for every possible variable in a situation. It's a lot of work, but it also does sort of create this beautiful order and structure to what may have been completely incomprehensible before. Uh, and before we get to sort of the problems with all of these amazing uh, theories he had, being accepted by his peers do you want to take a quick word from a sponsor oh
0: sure happy pride from tomboy x we just dropped our pride 24 collection queer founded queer run and creating size and gender inclusive underwear swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin visit tomboyx.com to shop
4: And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit
2: QuickBooks. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In Season 1, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic.
2: Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex.
3: But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught, a history of courage and perseverance.
0: I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it.
3: And it was a history full of love.
1: The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible.
3: And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For my heart podcast, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So, despite his uh, incredibly advanced insights into astrophysics, many of the assertions that Zwicky made in his career really just hit a brick wall with his colleagues. He had this incredible knack for finding conflict with the scientific community. And um, this basically is really attributed to his personality rather than his ideas. Even though his ideas were very advanced and hard for people to deal with, his way of presenting them and sort of dismissing people that didn't get them is really why he probably had so many problems kind of gaining ground with, um, with his work.
4: Almost any and every synonym for persnickety has been used to describe Zwicky at some point in time. He's often characterized as being just incredibly arrogant and dismissive of other people, and he even fought with Bada, who was his real collaborator. According to astronomer and Bruce medalist Jesse Greenstein, Zwicky called Bada a Nazi at one point during World War II, and Bada was infuriated but also afraid of Zwicky.
1: Yeah, apparently from that point on, you, having the two men in a room together was not really a viable option ever because they would not just bicker, but it would become extremely heated and very, very passionate and angry in a hurry. Uh, and while there are many, many instances of people saying that Zwicky could be a pill, and that is a very gentle way to put it, uh, his own feelings about others in his field are made incredibly clear in his own writing. It's not a case of like... Uh, these people are all saying he was crabby. He, it's, it's in writing. He was, he said some pretty unkind things. Uh, the introduction to his catalog of selected compact galaxies and of post eruptive galaxies, which came out in 1971, is basically full of criticism of his peers and he calls them out by name.
4: It's really, really bitter in its tone. And it's full of all kinds of snark, like, quote, Again and again, scientists and technical specialists arrive at stagnation points where they think they know it all.
1: And he did underline that in the text. Uh, Another was, the naivety of some of the theoreticians at all times is really appalling.
4: Uh, Another is, the most renowned observational astronomers in the 1930s also made claims that now have been proved to be completely erroneous. This retarded real progress in astronomy by several decades since the said observers had a monopoly on the use of the large reflectors of the Mount Wilson and Palomar observatories, and inasmuch as they kept out all
1: dissenters. And then uh, this gem. Today's sycophants and plain thieves seem to be free in American astronomy in particular to appropriate discoveries and inventions made by lone wolves and nonconformists for whom there is never any appeal to the hierarchies and for whom even the public press is closed because of censoring committees within the scientific institutions.
4: He makes it a point to clarify that he's the only person to have clearly stated what a galaxy is. He refers to some scientists as scatterbrains and even calls out Hubble, Bada, and contemporary Henry Norris Russell and others with very specific criticisms of the ways their incorrect assertions set back the study of astrophysics.
1: Yeah, he really does not hold back. Uh, it's it's very clear that. At that late point in in his life, he was in his 70s at the time, he was still just super angry at how he had been treated. Uh, and it's kind of funny. He includes in the text of this introduction a letter which was written by Edwin Hubble to the Scientific Monthly, uh, which had run... Uh, a piece about some of the work that Zwicky and Bada had done together. And in it, Hubble points out to the publication that an error that they made about attributing two dwarf nebula to Bada instead of Zwicky. And Fritz, you know, includes all of this in his thing about this... Uh, Edward Edwin Hubble trying to correct this error. And then he points out that in his opinion, this is a completely rare instance of gentlemanly behavior in the field of astronomy. And that he sort of, it's the exception rather than the the rule in his opinion.
4: With all this in mind, it just becomes really easy to dismiss this guy as a cranky curmudgeon when reading this rather infamous introduction. But it's also clear that his bitterness and anger came from years of having his work dismissed even when the same work was clearly being verified and even used by other researchers.
1: Yeah, I can see where you would land at this sort of very crabby mindset. You know, if you're saying, hey, I think this thing is happening, and people go, oh, you are a crazy idiot, and they're scribbling the notes down and then using them in their own work.
4: Yeah, being called a crazy idiot is no fun. (laughs)
1: Uh, I would be bitter as well, I think. (laughs) And as it turns out, most of Zwicky's predictions and theories, which he arrived at through what he called directed intuition, which is kind of part of that bigger morphology idea, were absolutely correct. Uh, while the theoretical existence of neutron stars was validated by uh, work in nuclear physics before then, the first neutron stars were actually identified in Zwicky's lifetime in the 1960s.
4: He died suddenly on February 8th, 1974, at the age of 75. But during the 1970s and beyond, astronomers were conducting research and making discoveries that continued to validate
0: what he had been saying during his life. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
4: And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and
2: Intuit QuickBooks. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In Season 1, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend Bob. Listen to Season 2 of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic—
2: Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called Survival Sex.
3: But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught, a history of courage and perseverance.
0: I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it.
3: And it was a history full of love.
1: The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible.
3: And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For My Heart Podcast, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: In the 1970s, Vera Rubin, W.K. Ford, and other astronomers were able to verify the idea of dark matter.
1: That is why you think of it as being a much later discovery. Uh, Vera Rubin is mostly associated with dark matter. Uh, and it really was in the seventies, kind of like the, the big announcement was always attributed to these people. So I think that's probably why you think it is a more recent thing than it was. And then in 1979, so five years after Zwicky had passed, the first gravitational lens, uh, and, and proof that it was actually working the way he had described was discovered. And, uh, the lensing effects. The lensing effect, as Zwicky described it in 1937, is actually now applied to measure the universe and its contents with regularity. They're sort of always exploring the parameters of the universe using uh, the very concepts of gravitational lens that he set forth in the late 30s. Fritz
4: Zwicky's youngest daughter, Barbarina, has become his advocate. She's really tirelessly written letters to science publications, bloggers, journals, and news outlets pointing out that her father was very far ahead of his his peers in space research and in his theories.
1: Yeah, she really wants to ensure that he gets his due in the historical record. Uh, and to one magazine, she wrote, quote, Fritz Wicke revealed a genesis of astounding cosmological achievements that still illuminate the scientific world. He was a scientific prophet and the sacrificial lamb for the provincial judgment of his colleagues. His emendation of intellect was such apodictic truth that, And his pre-sages were of such advance that the standard mind only could falter in their presence.
4: And while he definitely had some rough edges, Zwicky also had a really generous streak. When World War II ended, he organized the Committee for Aid to War-Stricken Scientific Libraries. And this group, which consisted of Zwicky himself and a handful of volunteers... Amassed literally tons of scientific literature and donated it to libraries that had been damaged during the war. Zwicky devoted his weekends and spare weekday hours to this project for years, and he packaged and shipped the materials himself.
1: Yeah, I read one source that said that it was, uh, approximated to be 15 tons of materials that he had eventually shipped over the years, but, uh, I couldn't find that validated. Uh, and in an obituary article about Zwicky, Albert G. Wilson, director of the Society for Morphological Research, wrote, Zwicky's point was that there are enough men and women of goodwill to make such projects a success if only they are pushed with determination. Availability of funds is not a prerequisite. He felt that such projects as the book distribution do more for establishing ties of confidence between different nations and races than can be achieved by speechmaking, legislation, or high-sounding efforts of international cooperation.
4: He also served as director of the American Chapter of Pestalozzi Foundation, which was founded to foster World War II orphans.
1: And while Zwicky had conflict with his professional peers, uh, the students and staff at Caltech really did see a much more affable side of the man, though he could certainly be a demanding teacher and mentor. Uh, And we have a funny story about that.
4: The February 1974 issue of the Caltech publication Engineering and Science featured an investigation into a rumor that students had once managed to pull one over on him by creating a fictitious student. According to this legend, in the 1931-1932 academic year, a group of grad students allegedly worked together under the false identity of an undergrad in an effort to achieve the impossible, which was to make an A in a course that Zwicky taught. While the surviving students of that year all insisted the story was true, the publication never got Zwicky's side of the story due to his sudden death during the writing of the article.
1: Uh, I find that to be such a great pity because I really would have loved to have heard his side of it. (laughs) I love that they just wanted to like make him give someone an A, uh, even though he, I think uh, never intended to do so. I just love that. That's a fun, uh, that somebody tried to trick him or a group of people, but it sounds like it was all in a very kind of good natured sort of way, which I love. Um, so in his lifetime, Fritz Zwicky authored literally hundreds of articles, numerous books. He held dozens of patents. He was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom for his work in rocket propulsion during World War II. Uh, the Royal Astronomical Society of Great Britain gave him their society's gold medal.
4: And he's credited with discovering 122 supernovas during his work. That number is a record.
1: Yeah, unbroken. He still holds it. Uh, he is buried in Glarus, Switzerland, where there is also his wiki museum displaying, uh, some of his papers and scientific work.
4: There are an asteroid, a lunar crater, and a galaxy named after him.
1: And curmudgeon or no, he was undoubtedly a visionary. He intuited cosmic truths that many others in his field simply could not grasp at the time he introduced him. He introduced them. So, uh, so to me, such a fascinating figure, and I, I just... I have a love for him. I like all the cranky ones. Those tend to be my favorites for some reason. Do you also have some listener mail? Is it cranky? Is cranky listener mail? It's not cranky at all. It's actually interesting and uh, it's something we get a lot of. uh, And it is from our listener, Autumn. And she says, hello, Holly and Tracy. I am a frequent listener of your podcast. I enjoy you both as podcast personalities. And what I particularly commend is the evidence of your thorough and reliable research. My side, we certainly try. Uh, this spring I will be graduating from university with a degree in theater and minors in TV, cinema, and psychology. With a wide range of hobbies and interests, I am still a bit lost on the career finding area. What I would like to know about, if you'd be willing to share, are your journeys. How did you come to How Stuff Works? Where did you begin and what were slash are the passions that brought you to where you are and the people you've become? Uh, this is a question we get a lot, is kind of how we ended up doing this. And for both of us, I think the answer is that it was quite a circuitous route. Um, I have had a million different jobs and multiple careers. I've managed hair salons. I um, worked in a library for more than a decade as a technical services assistant and um, acquisitions manager, for lack of a better title. Um, I worked in marketing for an online company. I worked... As both an admin assistant and then a writer at a network for a while. And then I ended up here. <laughs> um, and I got hired as an editor and Tracy and I, um, uh, started podcasting for pop stuff because one of our, uh, bosses heard us riffing at a party and thought we should try it. That's really, duo.
4: that's exactly what happened. That was a completely true <laughs> story. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, at that point, I had already been at how Stuff Works for several years. I started at a staff as a staff writer in two thousand and five. and
1: I guess at that point, I was site director, and that's how we landed here. and then as um while Dublina was on maternity leave, I came on as a guest for history. And then Dublina came back and decided that she wanted to make a career move elsewhere. And so then I came on with Sarah for a little while. And then Sarah also made a career move. And Tracy joined me here. And we sunsetted pop stuff. Uh, and that's how we ended up on History. Yep. <laughs> that's the story. So it's not really a course I could plot out for anyone. No. And we get a lot of questions from people that are like...
4: Uh, What do you recommend as far as getting jobs for history majors? And that is a question we super cannot answer because neither we nor any other host who has ever hosted this podcast has a history degree.
1: Yeah, the one person that I know in my life that has a history degree, and she actually has a graduate degree in historical studies. Is a librarian. <laughs> so, so that's the one instance I know, but I don't know that that path is going to be for everyone. She also has a graduate degree in library science. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're kind of at a weird, I don't know if it's weird, we're at a point it, it sort of in terms of the career world where it's so much different, I think, even than when Tracy and I went through college, that it's a little bit almost tricky to chart a direct path to anything, you know, unless you're in like a very, um, kind of established field that follows a pretty set course that has not really shifted, particularly with all of the economic shifts that have gone on. Like if you know you want to be a veterinarian and you go through college and you get your biology degree and then you go to veterinary school and you get your degree in that, and that's kind of your natural career path. But there aren't many career paths like that anymore, I think, especially if you're in like the liberal arts degree area. Well,
4: even if you're not uh, like Patrick's degree his undergraduate and first graduate degree are engineering degrees. And he is a librarian now with a separate master of library science to go with his previous engineering studies. So I think pretty much everyone I know has a winding
1: circuitous route to get to where they are now. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, I, we don't have a direct path. Uh, my thing is kind of like, I think how we both ended up in history is that both Tracy and I have always liked a lot of aspects of history. We both are readers. We both kind of just like learning new things. So way before we were ever in any sort of universe thinking about a podcast like this, before podcasts even existed, we were kind of reading about history all the time anyway.
4: Yeah, well, and it, from a completely practical sense, the past hosts were leaving and we needed new ones. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So it made sense because we both do like history that it was a, a pretty natural transition uh, from that point of view. So that's the scoop. I'm sorry it's not a direct like, uh, here's your next step. But the best thing I could say is just keep studying all the things you love. And eventually an opportunity will probably present itself to put some of that into play as long as you're, you know, working hard at other things and making your way in the world. I, I, it's hard for me because I do like structure so I wish that I could tell you here's how uh, but yeah just keep learning everything you, you are interested in learn all the time yep learn about things you're not interested in because sometimes those pay off in other ways uh, if you would like to write to us Probably not for career advice, because we're apparently not great at giving it, uh, other than saying work hard and study things that are interesting. Uh, you can do so at History Podcast at com. You can also connect with us at Facebook.com slash Mist in History, on Twitter at Mist in History, at Mist in History.tumblr.com, and on Pinterest.com slash Mist in History. If you would like to get some, uh, Mist in History goodies, like shirts or tote bags or mouse pads, or coffee cups, you can do so at mistinhistory.spreadshirt.com If you would like to learn a bit, little bit more about uh, the topic of today's podcast, you can go to our parent site HowStuffWorks, type in dark matter in the search bar and you will get how dark matter works. Uh, and You can study that and almost anything else you could like at our parent site, which is HowStuffWorks.com If you would like to read show notes and browse about on our history topics, you can do that at our site, which is mistinhistory.com
2: this time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jordan
3: Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, but We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through.
0: In the middle of
2: Wall Street, they stopped traffic, they were doing a die in right.
3: right. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.